So I mentioned a moment ago that we have been in a series in the Gospel of Luke called Lithographs, Impressions of Inclusion, and today we're going to finish that series up. And here's where I'd like to go with this. We are all marked and changed by eye-opening experiences. Have you ever been shocked by something that has happened to you and you are not the same? That could be something as dreadful as a scar that you still carry with you, or it could be something that is very delightful that you wish would happen more often. But I think all of us at various times in our life have had some eye-opening experiences that has made us kind of rethink how we view life. And that is certainly true in the narrative at the end of the Gospel of Luke. There's a new perspective that certain individuals have gained by what they saw through the resurrection of Christ. Something that we see will often change the way that we interact with the world around us. And so this eye-opening experience might be something rather unusual and unexpected. It is something I don't think that we necessarily can control or even anticipate. But sometimes it comes upon us. I remember my very first international trip was to Mexico. The year was 1995. And the church that I used to pastor took a missions team down to Mexico to help minister to some of the missionaries that were on the field there. And it was there that I had my first real taste of a foreign culture. And it was quite eye-opening, really. When you go into a new country and they look at life a little bit different than what we do as Americans and they don't have necessarily a Western mindset, all of a sudden you're beginning to see things in different ways and you begin to understand that there is more than one way to live life and there's more than one culture on how to interact with the very things that we love about life. Well, if you ever have an opportunity to do any international travel, you'll find that what you experience is not only eye-opening, but bubble-bursting. In other words, we tend to all live within our own subculture bubble at times. And as we do so, we expect people to kind of view life and experience life and live life just like we do. So I was looking for an example that would kind of bring this home before we look at a couple of people at the end of the Gospel of Luke. And I ran across this as an example of something that is as simple as music on the street. Now, how many of you have ever gone somewhere and you have found a group of people that are using a boombox and you're going, why are they playing that so loud, okay? Why don't they tone that down a little bit? Well, this illustrates why some people experience music the way they do. So, this says, when I was in my 20s, being visually impaired, I was at the very bottom of the earning pool. I could not find jobs. Hard as I tried, hard as I searched, it always seemed that the position I applied for had just gone to someone speaking Spanish. In fact, when I lost a job due to being unable to drive, During a bus strike, my position was filled by two Hispanic persons, each making half my pay. So yes, I was very prejudiced and racist toward any, every, and all Mexicans. 
Living in Southern California did not help the situation. One day, I was bitterly complaining to my half-sister. They talk so loud. They hang outside their houses, play their stupid radios loud. Everything they do is in-your-face loud and annoying. Can't they behave like we do? My half-sister looked at me and said, Do you know why they do that? Do blacks do the same thing? I huffed in annoyance. Yeah, they hang out together too and play those stupid boomboxes with rap music so you can't even think. I was working up a good head of steam when my half-sister shook her head. You aren't angry at black or Hispanic people. You're mad at poor people. In a lot of Central American countries, and in the U.S. for that matter, often many families are too poor to afford television sets, radios, and so on. So the family that manages to own one will bring it outside so that their neighbors who don't have a radio or tape player can enjoy themselves also. It's not inconsiderate behavior, it is mutual social support. As you see it among poor people of all races. The same with black kids hanging out on the street corners with their boom boxes. They're sharing the music among themselves. Poor people hang around outside because Often their homes are crowded with people. Outside is their only free space. And resenting the poor people is just wrong. Someday you'll understand. Well, I thought it over and I realized, yes, my half-sister was right. Blacks, whites, Hispanics, Middle Easterners, Asian. It made no difference. The bad behavior I complained about was the same in all races. And it was not common to this race or that race, but common to all who were living impoverished lives. That lecture from my half-sister opened my eyes and destroyed my racism. We are a diverse country, but we do have certain things that remain in common throughout all races. The behavior of poor people crosses all culture groups. I just needed to get my head on straight. Isn't that interesting? Something as simple as that was something that opened her eyes to understand that people from all over the world experience life differently and in their own cultural subculture they experience life because of the things that they face and experience. So having said that, I want us to understand that several times over the course of your life you might have an eye-opening experience. And that eye-opening experience will change the way you filter what you are trying to judge or evaluate or sometimes criticize. And if we can understand that God, I think, providentially puts us in places so that our eyes are open, all of a sudden we can become more loving, compassionate, and patient with other people. So that brings me to the closing scenes of Luke's gospel that not only celebrates Christ's victory over the grave, but also celebrates the world that has not yet been experienced. As we close out this study, what we find is there are several individuals that allow us to see how their lives have been impacted by knowing that Christ is risen from the dead. So today... Keep this in the back of your mind. 
as we talk about these eye-opening experiences. The first one I want to talk about is the centurion that is found at the foot of the cross. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, it tells us what happens as Christ is about to die. It says, it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, can you imagine being in the infantry of the Roman Empire? And here you are, a Roman soldier. Perhaps you were part of those individuals that put Christ on the ground and nailed him to the cross and lifted him up to die. Perhaps you saw certain things about Jesus over the course of his ministry in and around Judea and Jerusalem. Perhaps you saw him heal the blind. Perhaps you saw him touch the leper. Perhaps this Roman centurion was standing there when on the cross on each side of Jesus were two criminals. These two criminals look to Jesus and they say to Jesus, if you are the Messiah, then get us down from here. The one criminal is criticizing Jesus, but the other one looks over to that criminal and says, how can you criticize him the way you are? We're up here because we've done something wrong. He has never done anything wrong. And so this criminal looks over to Jesus and says, Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks back and says, Today you shall be with me in paradise. As Jesus comes to the end of his life, he looks up and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last. Something happens to that soldier at the foot of the cross. He has had an eye-opening experience, not only because of what he has seen, but because of what he is witnessing in the moment, and that is an individual who is about ready to draw his last breath, now worrying about himself as much as he is the criminal who is looking for some type of assurance that after he draws his last breath, that there is hope after the grave. And Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. A second portrait concerns the women at the tomb. In Luke chapter 24, we're told that after the Sabbath day, women were going back to the tomb to prepare the body for burial, to bring spices it says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still alive with you in Galilee? The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Can you imagine on that first Easter morning, they have just watched the torture They've seen Jesus taken down off the cross. They've seen him placed into the cave of a tomb. Sabbath was starting so that they could not finish the preparation for burial. And so they come back after Sabbath is over and the tomb's empty. The stone is rolled away. But I guess the eye-opening experience is not that the stone is rolled away or that the body is missing, for certainly some could have come along and rolled that stone away and taken the body. But they experience two men that are actually angels. And it is there, they see these two angels, and these angels say something to them that causes them to look at life differently. He is not here. He is risen. And so Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of Jesus, they make haste back to the disciples. And it is there they proclaim this message that life is completely different now. The tomb is empty. He's alive. Just like he promised, he is alive. And all the disciples who did not have that eye-opening experience looked at them and thought they were nuts. And they couldn't really trust their testimony. After all, in the first century, no woman was allowed to testify in court because they were considered an unreliable source of witness. But Peter decides to go look for himself. And it says that Peter got up and he ran to the tomb and bending over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what happened. He didn't see the angels, but he did see the empty tomb. And it is there that he has to contemplate whether the promise that Jesus made to him and the other disciples really did come true. Later, Peter will have an eye-opening experience for, we're told in John's gospel, that Jesus is on the beach while these disciples go back to their previous trade, which was fishing. And Jesus comes on the beach and calls out, and Peter recognizes the voice of Jesus, and he jumps overboard, and he swims to the shore because he says, it is the Lord. So these eye-opening experiences happen at different times and in different ways, and they make a different impact. These women knew he was alive. Peter would later know that he is alive. So then Luke, as he's finishing off this gospel, talks about two individuals, 
that had been in Jerusalem when Jesus was killed. And they're making their way back to Emmaus, a little village about seven or eight miles away from Jerusalem. And as they're walking, Jesus joins them on the road. Here's how the text tells us. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing Him. For whatever reason, they didn't realize it was Jesus. But Jesus asked this question, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? In other words, where have you been? Been sleeping all day long? You didn't experience? You didn't know? You didn't hear? They crucified this loving, compassionate rabbi, and he was buried. So, then it says, Jesus engaged them and began to talk to them. And here's what it says. Sometimes these eye-opening experience has to come as a jolt. Verse 25, Luke 24 says, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he gives them a little bit of explanation. They still don't recognize him. Finally, they get to the village. When they get to the village, they compel this stranger walking with them to come in and have a bite to eat with them. And as he does, as he sits down at the table, he takes a piece of bread and he breaks it. And he gives thanks, and the moment that he gave thanks, their eyes were opened, it says. Listen, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight, which is a bit weird. But they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road, and he opened the scriptures to us? These eye-opening experiences sometimes happen instantaneously, and sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it takes a while, and sometimes there's a moment, as it says here, our hearts were burning within us. Our hearts were burning within us. These two individuals experienced something, something that was unique to them. They were hidden from the truth that Jesus is alive until that moment where they could see with their own eyes and feel in their own heart that He is alive. When they do, it tells us here that they got up and they ran back seven miles to Jerusalem. They had just come from there turned around, they went back. There they found the 11 disciples and those with them assembled together and said, it's true, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus 
and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They shared that eye-opening experience. And it was there, these 11 heard the testimony of the women and heard the testimony of this couple. And all of a sudden, it tells us in the next verse what Jesus does. He provides an eye-opening experience for them. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Then it goes down a few verses later. It says in verse 45, And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures that all this was a part of God's plan and purpose in the world. I like what Frederick Buechner, the theologian, once said when he was trying to define this eye-opening power of Easter. He says, resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. And maybe that's what we need to understand out of the Easter story, is even the worst things in life are not the last things in life. That maybe the things that we are going through in the course of our life, those things that we would rather not go through, open our heart, open our mind, open our spirit to be able to experience life a little bit differently than the way we had been living. Maybe, just maybe, there are times that our bubble needs to be burst. And when it is burst, what we find is there is a new opportunity. Buechner goes on and he says this, I believe that although the two disciples did not recognize Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Jesus recognized them, that he saw them as if they were the only two people in the world. And I believe that the reason why the resurrection is more than just an ordinary event that took place some 2,000 years ago and then was over and done with is that even as I speak these words and you listen to them, He also sees each of us like that. And in this dark world where you and I see so little because of our unrecognizing eyes, He whose eye is on the sparrow sees each one of us as the child. And I believe that because He sees us, not even in the darkness of death are we lost to Him or lost to each other. I believe that whether we recognize Him or not, or believe in Him or not, or even know His name, again and again He comes and walks a little way with us along whatever road we're following. And I believe that through something that, uh, through something that happened to us, or something we see, or somebody we know who can ever guess how or when or where, He offers us the way He did at Emmaus, the bread of life, offers us new hope and a new vision of light that not even the dark world can overcome. That's the message of Easter. That's today that we celebrate. He gives to us this eye-opening experience of that Easter so long ago, and we feel the burning in our heart to know that the last thing is never the last thing. 
It's only the previous thing. And so, let me give you a few suggestions as I close here. When you think about eye-opening experiences, and you look back on them in the course of your life, maybe you appreciate life a little bit more because you had that experience. Maybe you see the world a little bit differently than you did before you experienced what you experienced. Maybe you gain some valuable experience. I think all of us have said at times, I'll never do that again, right? Maybe you see yourself differently. Maybe you see your strengths and your weaknesses a little bit differently. Or maybe you value relationships a little bit more than you did prior to that experience. Or maybe you gain awareness of new possibilities that still stand in front of you. Maybe, just maybe, all of us need some eye-opening experiences. And we cannot dictate when they'll come along. We can't control them. But when we see them, when we experience them, it changes us. And as it changes us, hopefully it expands our heart, it expands our world, and it expands our love. Would you stand with me? As the praise team comes back, they're going to lead us in one closing hymn. I want to pray as we close off this series. Lord Jesus, come again today. Let us see you once again. Help us not to be hard of hearing. Help us to desire to hear your loving voice. We want to be hungry for your presence among us. Open our eyes that we may see you in the many ways that you come to us each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.